But we're just about there in terms of um, wrapping up this series, um, have another week of it. Um, but for those who are joining us late in the series, we've been talking about the um, fivefold uh, ministry that's um, shown in Ephesians uh, 4, verses 11 and 12. Uh, so today we're looking at the ministry gift of a shepherd um, within this fivefold. And we had an acronym, or so that's what it called, acronym APEST. Yes? I'm just testing this if you guys are awake. You guys remember what it stands for? Okay, APEST. What's the A? Apostle, okay. P? You just looking for your notes? Okay, E? Okay, and we just mentioned we're going to talk about what today? And the last one? Teacher. You guys are like, we didn't come for a classroom setting. <laughs> Remember, if we're going to apply these things to our lives, then we have to know what we're actually saying. Now, since the Greek word uh, for shepherd is poimen, P-O-I-M-E-N, which means pastor, um, I'll use shepherd and pastor interchangeably. Now, while pastoring is a spiritual gift, um, many see this through the lens of a church title. Um, so we tend to hire and appoint people to serve as pastors without ever considering if they have the gift of a shepherd, the gift of pastoring. So we have many hired pastors who might be serving without having the gift. Um, so you have youth pastor, and college pastor, worship pastor, discipleship pastor, and the list goes on and on. But we must think beyond the title and think about the gift. We've been saying this over and over. And here's why. Only one person can fill the office of lead pastor in a local church, but there can and should be many people in the congregation with the gift of pastoring. Any of you guys here who believe you have the gift of pastoring? Okay. Okay, Grant. Anyone else? Was that Jared had a hand up or you were just yawning? <laughs> but it is possible to have the gift of a pastor, but don't fill the office or carry the title of a pastor. Um, but you should um, never carry this title without having the gift. So you'll find that a church might grow uh, beyond a specific number, whatever that number is, but it's impossible for one person to truly pastor um, the whole congregation. So an individual might be able to lead a church by setting the overall vision, but there's no way this one person um, can pastor the entire congregation to give personal attention. So we find men and women who have the gift of a shepherd, and then we empower them to share the load. And so as we've been meeting with different individuals, we're trying to discover gifted people who can share the load. Now, what does it really mean to be a shepherd? When we examine uh, Christians in the early church, uh, we see a remarkable phenomenon that's laid out for us in the book of Acts. The book of Acts 
it tells us much about the early church. But imagine if you were one of Christ's disciples back in the day in the first century. And then in Acts 1 verse 8, when Christ appeared after his resurrection and he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, hearing the words would seem hopeful because the risen Savior is speaking directly to you. Now, when the event of Pentecost took place in Acts chapter 2, the church began to grow. And with this growth, there was a season when the disciples were blessed by having favor with all the people, according to Acts 2 and verse 47. But shortly after that blessing, the scenario drastically changed. Peter and John were taken into custody by the Jewish authorities, and they were interrogated, and they were warned not to preach in Christ's name again. You find this in Acts 4. We get to Acts 5 and verse 40. We learn that all the apostles were brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin and they were threatened and beaten. So before we saw two people, now all the apostles were brought and they were beaten. So you can see that leadership comes with a cost. Although it might look differently for us in the United States, there are people still being martyred and persecuted for their faith across the world. Now here's a verse within the early church that kind of uh, stuck out to me. Um, Acts 20 verse 28. It says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. As a shepherd, it's our responsibility to hear God's voice and lead people so they could have an opportunity to have everlasting life. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus holds us accountable for how we live and how we lead his people that was purchased with his blood. Think about that. Why would anyone want such responsibility unless they are certain that God is calling them to this ministry to be a shepherd? Are you willing to pay the price for accepting such role? Because it will cost you something something to lead God's people. But Jesus reminds us that he is with us and that his spirit will guide us and tell us exactly what to say and how to live. Now we see this progression in the book of Acts, but the conversation actually started back in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples, of course, remember that, you know, Judas is no longer there. So the 11 is there. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So who did Jesus give this instruction? I'm asking a question. Hello? Yes, he gave it to his disciples. And specifically, he gave it to the 11 disciples who went to the mountain in Galilee. So everything we see in the book of Acts results from this conversation that started with 11 people in Matthew 28. We saw in Acts 1 that there's this command that was given for them to go in Jerusalem, Judea, and where else? Samaria. Thank you. Now, in Acts chapter 7, there's this guy by the name of Stephen. He's preaching the gospel. But later in that chapter, right about verses 54 to 60, we see that he was stoned to death. Stone because he was preaching the gospel. When we get to Acts 8, we learn that Saul, before his conversion to Christianity, he's the one that consented to them stoning Stephen to death. Look what it says in Acts 8, verses 1 to 2 and verse 4. Now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. We're seeing Acts 1 and verse 8 when there's this command to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And now we're seeing in Acts 8, when the church was persecuted, that the apostles, they remained. Now, so we're seeing they remained there, but then those went out. So what we're noticing in these verses is that the people described here as going out everywhere, they were preaching the word, were not the apostles. The apostles were spreading the gospel there, but the people, the congregation, they were the ones who went out and spread the gospel in Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. So while the congregation was fleeing during this great persecution, the, the while, while they're fleeing, they were preaching the word everywhere. This tells us that one of the functions of the early church leaders was to equip the congregation so that the ministry of the gospel could make an impact through their lives. So all Christians are to be involved in fulfilling the mission of the church. This series is about getting each of you to activate your spiritual gifts to equip the church so that we can do the work of ministry. We're not just sharing another good sermon. And you're like, when are we ever going to end this series? When are you ever going to start helping us to equip the body of Christ? Don't worry, it's only five weeks. It ends next week. It is the shepherd's responsibility to equip the sheep by teaching and training them. Now, there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching involves the impartation of information from one source to another. 
But training requires hands-on participation. Can we say participation? Participation, yes. We want you to participate as members of this church. So training requires this hands-on approach, showing someone how to master a particular gift. So when God calls you, there's this gift that you have, there's the need to, to become skilled in these gifts. So those appointed to be leaders in local churches are given various gifts to equip, to teach and train the congregation. As it relates to a shepherd or a pastor, Jesus sees us as the leader of the local church, and the model for pastoral ministry is seen in the work of Jesus himself. One of the titles he gives himself is that of a good shepherd. We spoke about that earlier this year. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the metaphor of the shepherd who cares for his flock becomes the metaphor that defines the work of the local pastor. With this in mind, let's review our key verses in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So last week we spoke about the evangelists and how they are gifted to spread the gospel. But here's the difference. The evangelist focuses on short-term ministry, and the shepherd focuses on long-term ministry. So each year, for example, you might find some will say, you know, I'm going to be moving overseas or moving to SoCal. But you guys never have to ask me that question because I'm long-term. There's, the title for this teaching is Carrying the Weight. And I wanted you guys to see the weight for today, you know, of, of this gift. And I want to highlight a story from the life of the Apostle Paul to demonstrate the weight that a shepherd carries. Notice I didn't say that I carry, because many of you have the gift. So if you have this gift, there's a weight that you carry as shepherds. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, it says, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. To understand the magnitude of this one verse, you must read what came before this. So you have to go back to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22 to 28. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in debts often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. It's kind of weird, right? Let's just say 39. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. To qualify his leadership, Paul boasted in his weaknesses for the ministry of God, and he highlighted these trials. He said he received 39 lashes five different times and three beatings with rods. He also said that a mob stoned him. He was shipwrecked three times, faced countless perils, spent nights being cold and hungry. And yet, after all these things that Paul experienced, he said the greatest concern that he had was for the church. Think about that. Although each pastor has a different uh, story, Paul's difficulties and sufferings speak volumes about a pastor's weight in caring for a church. I know we often say, well, it's God's church, and it's true it's God's church. But I mentioned earlier that there is a weight that comes along with it. God is going to hold each person that has this gift accountable in how they serve. So in one sense, pastors have a difficult job just like everyone else in the world. We work in a world that is stained by sin and know the experience of work, sometimes being challenging and uncomfortable and, you know, or un unenjoyable. But at the same time, because of our unique calling involved in leading people in the church, proclaiming God's word, caring for you know, the souls, the pastoral ministry carries a significance that is difficult to explain. Every once in a while, you see me post about, yes, I'm driving a truck. And other days, you're counseling people or you're performing a wedding, doing a sermon. It takes in a whole lot. And some of you who have the gift, you know what it's like. You're driving and picking up people. You're like, oh, I'm just a nice person. But it's really that gift that is coming outside of you that says, whatever someone needs, I'm there. Every serious pastor, every serious person who serves, they serve under this heavy weight. This is the reality of the pastoral gift. Pastors take the work of ministry serious because it has eternal implications. So we have the burden of walking with people through the most challenging times of their lives. And the task of preaching God's word weekly and the joy of seeing God use it for his glory. Now, let me highlight five weight that pastors may carry because of this gift. So if you have this gift, you might carry one of these weight. Number one is the weight of modeling godly living. There's no denying that each Christian has a divine call to godly living. However, those who shepherd people often see the lives of others as a reflection of their leadership. When a member does something 
on becoming of a Christian, the first thing shepherds consider is, what could we have done differently? You know, or for you, you know, see parents around, there are you know, times we look at our children, especially my wife, and she's like, where did I go wrong? Have your parents ever said that to you before? My wife's like, I didn't say that. When you go through and you see people like, yes, I did that. And what it is is that there's a certain way in which a parent raise a child and you're hoping that they'll follow into your footsteps. I can tell you right now that my sons don't have pastor on their radar. They're like, nope, it's not happening. In fact, they often say, Dad, I'm not like you. And I'm like, no one's asking you to be a pastor. But there is this weight that shepherds carry. And when we look and see a member that's not living how we, you know, envision, the first thing that we see is, what could I have done differently? Condemnation is not the priority of a shepherd. Restoration is always the priority. That's what we're always seeing. One of the greatest heartbreaks of everyone called to be a pastor is not having an opportunity to restore a person. So even when the person is wrong, we always think about their souls. So that's why it's so important for Jesus to meet with Peter while he was fishing. See, Jesus would never miss an opportunity to offer restoration, nor should you. But here's my uh, encouragement to those who feel the weight of modeling godly character. Your identity as a Christian should always prioritize the work of ministry. So if you focus on being a good Christian, God will make you a great witness. So, so often we think about the work of ministry. Don't get lost in ministry and neglect how you should live because your soul is important to God. Number two is the weight of leading a family. God calls pastors to be an example to their church in how they lead their families, and not just if you're married, but more so if you're married. Every Christian is responsible for leading a godly home. But this is part of our requirement as shepherds. Each week I'm challenged to preach something that I practice at home. So my family is my first public witness. Your roommates might be your first public witness. Can't hide. They see you. They see how you live. They're your first witness. So you can't live this double life because one conversation by someone who really knows you can invalidate your Christian witness. See, none of us are perfect, but it shouldn't stop us from living wholeheartedly for God. Amen? The greatest joy in a shepherd's leadership is seeing their family make application to something that, that they teach. See, I don't, you know, 
you know, worry about people taking notes. I want to see, can you make application? That's what I like, seeing people make application of God's word. Because that's the stamp of approval. It's the same feeling as being on stage and looking at an audience and seeing, you know, your favorite person nodding, your head and, and nodding their head and saying yes. So I love to see when, you know, I, I was sharing with uh, uh, Brenton one day how a guest came in and one day he was taking notes. I'm like, yes. And she, and she said, you know, I saw this person taking notes. And I'm like, yes, thank God he was taking notes that day. It's always a good feeling. But here's an encouragement for those who feel the weight, whether a family member or from your, your roommates. Lead your family, but resist the temptation to take daily spiritual inventory. See, regardless of how you lead, there will be days that people won't meet God's expectations. But there will be other days when you see God's grace in their lives. So don't often you know, beat yourself up saying, every day you want to see this change. It might not be every day. But celebrate small victories. Celebrate the time that you see God's grace is evident in their lives. The third is the weight of preaching God's word. Ask anyone who teach anything or preach regularly. They'll tell you there's a weight that comes with it. There's a weight in taking God's word proclaiming its message to people so they can apply it in their lives. See, it doesn't matter how many hours I spend studying, I wrestle with each passage. I'm seeking to understand what it means and how it should change the lives of the people who hear it. I was just telling my wife this morning how I never stop tweaking things until I get right here to speak. I'm studying and I'm going through. In fact, I was up most of last night, just keep saying, you know, do I have everything that God wants me to say? And even as they're singing the songs and I'm engaging in worship, I'm still saying, God, what are you saying to us? So when, you, when you're preparing, you never stop because you're saying, when I present something, the hope is that someone will make application. But here's my encouragement to those who carry this weight. Grow in your knowledge of Scripture. Develop a deeper understanding of the lives of the people you shepherd. But understand this. Your words will not be effective unless God's Spirit is at work through your words. doesn't matter how much I prepare. I need the Spirit of God to speak through me. I need the Spirit of God to give me the words to say. So I study as best as I can, but I give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work through my words. Number four is the weight of shepherding the church. Now, standing on the stage to talk to people is only a fraction of a pastor's week. A divine mandate to care for the church extends beyond a pulpit. This is why I suggested earlier that it's possible to have many people in this church with the gift of a shepherd, but not everyone will have this gift. Preaching on Sunday doesn't mean you have the gift of a shepherd. It could simply mean that you're a great communicator or a gifted teacher. But shepherding is a different role. We'll talk about teaching next week. Because shepherds pray with people in pain. You guys pray with people in pain? 
Anyone pray with people in pain? No hands? Like, nope, I don't do it. Okay, see one hand. Anyone walk with people facing difficulty? Okay, see the same hand. Anyone counsel people with difficult decisions? See the same hand, see a half a hand. If you do those things, that is the work of a shepherd. You don't have to be up here to have the gift. But sometimes a shepherd, I'm sure you guys might like this one, sometimes shepherds answer problematic theological questions. Anyone answer those questions? I don't see the same hand this time. <laughs> All these things are ways God uses us to demonstrate love to his people and to build his church. But do not neglect the power of your presence. Jesus demonstrates his love to his people through our ministry, but he uses our presence to care for their souls. Think about that. Imagine having a church where leaders are never accessible. So it's okay to say you're a shepherd, but if you're never accessible, you're not really exercising what God requires of you. God wants you to be accessible even if you must recharge every few hours, like myself. I'm an introvert. I need a few hours to recharge. Introverts in the house? All you extroverts in here. So why are you guys so quiet doing service? The fifth one is the weight of reaching their communities. One of the reasons I'm always throwing data at you is because I'm restless knowing that there are so many unchurched people in Berkeley. Forget about the Bay Area, just in Berkeley. Knowing that we have more than 60,000 unchurched people in Berkeley, I'm restless. So I feel personally responsible for reaching the people in Berkeley. You don't have to, but I do. When you realize that 30 to 40% of your congregation leaves each year, it means that we have 30 to 40% people that we can bring into the church. That's just how I view it. So we have to constantly say, God, how do we reach the unchurched people in our city? I feel the weight of being a shepherd to these unchurched people. And it should drive you as well to say, how do we reach these people in our community? We need the church to be on mission for God every day. When you look in the book of Acts, it says that people are getting saved every single day. Pastoring can be heavy, but it can also lead to great joy. We serve under the chief shepherd. So now we've seen some weight in scripture, and I'm gonna go very quickly to five functions of a shepherd. Number one, shepherds dedicate time to know their sheep. It's the first thing. From the moment we're born, we want meaningful relationships. And those who can't find uh, relationships often become overwhelmed with loneliness, depression, and even isolation. Just as how God initiated a, a relationship with us, we are to pursue relationship with the sheep. Number two, shepherds are responsible to feed 
the sheep with God's word. Um, one of the things that we have to learn is that that's the priority, teaching God's word. Number three, in fact, yeah, I'll just go through those quickly again. Number three is that shepherds lead the sheep because of their accountability to God. Lead the sheep because of their accountability to God. Number four, shepherds protect the sheep. Shepherds protect the sheep. We invite the worship team to come forward. The Bible often references wolves as the number one threat to a sheep. So the sheep needs protection from the wolves. Sometimes wolves might come from the outside or within the church, but in both instances, it requires strong leadership. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So shepherds are responsible for addressing false doctrine, distortions of truth, and erroneous teachings. The last one we see is that shepherds gather the sheep. That's probably one of the things that you guys do when you're leading a small group. You know, you, you know how to get people together. Exercising the gift of a shepherd. God, God's call to the shepherd is to pay careful attention to his flock. This is one of the reasons we've been trying to have these connection events because it's easy for us to drift into silos. Every so often we have to bring everyone together. It is my desire that as you search your lives, if God has gifted you with the ministry of shepherding, don't keep it to yourselves. I hope that this will be an opportunity for you to reach out to us so we can direct you in how you can serve our church with this unique gift of shepherding. Amen? I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite us to respond in worship. But if you're sitting here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I do want to give you an opportunity to to know that Jesus died for all of our sins so we can have an opportunity to um, live with him throughout all eternity. And then what God does, he places you in a church like this. Maybe it's this church or another church. And he gives you an opportunity to be among believers, um, those who might be in shepherds, having the gift of shepherding to help guide you on your journey. So I pray that today will be a decision that you can make to follow Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, speaking through your word today. I pray, God, for um, the one who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'll make a decision to follow you and serve you with their lives. But I also pray for all of us here, God. Um, maybe we don't all have this gift of shepherding, but we do have a responsibility to share your good news wherever we go. So I pray, God, that we all will um, share your gospel every opportunity that we get. And that as we invite people um, to be a part of this worship experience, they can meet other believers who will 
walk with them in this Christian journey. I pray, God, that you will continue to be with us today, that you will be done in and through our lives, and that we will make application of your word. Uh, we love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.